a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. As the new state leadership lineup has been announced, how prepared is China to face socioeconomic challenges and geopolitical headwinds? How will the country's sweeping administrative revamp close remaining loopholes? What will be the key growth drivers going forward? But first, how do foreign entrepreneurs look at the two sessions? To discuss this, we're joined by Simon Lichtenberg, CEO of furniture firm Triton Group. Simon, welcome to The Hub on CGTN. Great to have you. Uh, you're Danish, but you have been living in China for, what, 30 years now? Uh, how's China treating you? Great. Absolutely great. Yes, 31 years. I came in uh, to study Chinese language in uh, 1987. At, uh, I'm in Shanghai, I live in Shanghai, Fudan University. You're asking, how is China treating me? China is treating me great. Uh, of course, the, the challenges around the, the COVID uh, lockdowns has been, has been uh, very difficult, but, uh, yeah. but uh, we are very happy to be here for so many years, yes, me and my family. Great. Actually, your China connection goes way back, right? Uh, in the early 20th century, in 1906, if I remember correctly, your grandparents' generation started an engineering company that brought Western technology to China. Uh, tell us a bit about that story. Yeah, so it, it was not my grandparents. It's my great-great-grandmother's cousin. His name was Wilhelm Meyer, and he came to China uh, together with a great Nordic cable company that made the cable, the first connection between China and the U.S. Uh, and he went, he left and started his own company called uh, Meyer and Anderson and Co. Shenchang Yanghang. And that was in Shanghai in 1905. And uh, he was, uh, in fact, he was a Danish entrepreneur, just like me, but he just came to China about 100 years earlier than me. He was the first importer. At that time, it was bulbs, you know, electrical bulbs that was imported to China. Wow, that was that so, was So uh, that was, uh, you can say, the beginning. Yes, yeah, they're quite significant. And in fact, on his, one of his first trips to uh, New York to meet the general electric general manager, he's, he asked if he could buy electrical bulbs, bulbs for China. And the, the general manager said, yeah, you can do that. But if you can also help me to sell trains and, and uh, power stations, that would be great. So he became the, the, the agent for General Electric for China and started the General Electric business in China. Uh, okay, fast forward to uh, current days. And as an entrepreneur who has witnessed China's growth and development and uh, the past three years, which has been complex and complicated, uh, what do you make of the current business environment in China? Uh, you know, how would you say uh, the business environment is like for entrepreneurs like you? Yes. So uh, first of all, I, I want to say that uh, the Chinese development, the economic development over the last 30 years has been enormous and, and really, really impressive. And uh, China has, has moved maybe 600 million people out of poverty and has expanded an, an economy and become not a developed maybe economy yet, but certainly getting close. And, and I have been part of that, uh, that whole history. And that has been a, a, an, a very important, of course, part of my life, but also a, a big opportunity. For me. In the last uh, couple of years, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, challenges because maybe I would say more, a lot of media, you know, negative media in the West about, uh, about China and so on and so on. But the business as such, I mean, the, 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 the manufacturing power, the, the, the innovation, the speed of, and the governance of China is, uh, is second to none in the world. So there's nowhere where we can make our products better than China. Nowhere. 
I mean, as a foreign entrepreneur, uh, as a China expert, uh, how do you look at the two sessions? As I'm sure you watch the two sessions closely and its policy signals, uh, what are the things that you're paying special attention to this year? Well, I, I think that both the two sessions, but also the, the previous, the 20th Party Congress has been uh, a very important focus point for me uh, as, a, as a business and also for other foreign business uh, owners in China. The 20th Party Congress has emphasized several times that China is only opening further and further up and foreign investments are very important. And here at the two sessions, there's been a lot of talk about how to support private, private enterprises, how to support foreign enterprises, how to uh, opening up better, how to level the playing field. There's some markets are maybe difficult for foreign companies to enter and how can, how can they be, that be helped and so on and so on. So this is what we've been looking for. At least I have been looking for in the two sessions, sessions and that has, uh, has certainly come out in a very good way. I would say very positive. Yes, Simon, we understand that you took part in China's uh, political uh, deliberative process, uh, China's decision-making process, if you will, including, uh, you know, being solicited uh, legal advice and opinions on uh, drafting or amending some of China's uh, domestic laws. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that experience? Yes, uh, so I was uh, invited, that was in fact through my, uh, the neighborhood committee of uh, our area. They invited me to uh, participate in different discussions about the local area and that led into uh, me being invited into so far four sessions on the, the changes or the improvement of uh, Chinese law. Uh, and that has been the, the, comp the corporate law, the VAT law, the financial stability law, and the charity law. So four, four big laws in, in the Chinese system where I was invited as a foreigner to take part in the process together with the neighborhood uh, committee selected uh, people that they thought were relevant for this process. And then we were uh, in through meetings. We read the proposals, the legal proposals from the from the NPC in Beijing, from the central uh, from the from the National People's Congress, and we gave uh, our opinions and points. And we did video conferences directly with the uh, with the NPC members from Beijing. How serious do you think they are? The governments are uh, when it comes to soliciting your advice. I would say they're very serious for sure. This was very very sincere, and I must say I was very. Uh, impressed and uh, also, you know, excited that you invite a foreign businessman to help create the laws in China. I mean, I don't think that the Western countries invite a lot of Chinese businessmen to help their laws. Yeah, I, I can't imagine so, a Chinese entrepreneur so, <laughs> sitting uh, on the Capitol Hill these days, uh, exactly, other than you exactly. know testifying for uh, a alleged crime that they did not commit. Exactly. So, so it was. It was really a very much a proof of open government. And I am, I am certain that they were sincere. And also some of the, the opinions we gave and the reason for me being there was to give the international perspective. So what is the international, you know, the Denmark Danish law, or the European law on certain things within corporate uh, governance, you know, what are, their, what are the best experiences? How can they be shared with the National People's Congress and how do they use that? And that was, it was a very, very positive and also very, uh, very productive. Uh, in, in set of meetings. Yeah, you know, uh, a new buzzword in China, in China's political uh, dictionary is uh, whole process people's democracy, uh, which has been dismissed by uh, many Western scholars and media as uh, propaganda. Uh, what's your understanding of this word? Well, I, I think that, first of all, uh, I don't, personally, I don't believe that the West has, uh, has monopoly on the definition of democracy. 
so in the in the you can say in the Western sense, they believe that democracy is something very very specific to a Western uh, Western uh, political system. China has a Chinese system, and the West has a Western system, and each system uh, works for each party. It's not something that the West uh, is is uh, can can you know say we we know how to do this better. They don't know how to do to rule China or govern China better than the Chinese. Of course, they don't. Just as China is not trying to tell the West how they should rule their country. So, in my opinion, this is uh, this this is the Chinese way of getting opinions from a broad base of the population into the legal regulations. And I think it's 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 brilliant. It's very well done. From what I have seen, it has been it it has been a very good process, and people have been heard. Right. Also, there is this often uh, you know perception that democracy. Uh, like you said, is a monopoly of the West. It is a concept that is exclusively associated with Western countries, and that Western democracy is the only political model that works in the long run. Uh, there is no alternative. Is this famous motto from Margaret Thatcher, the late Prime Minister of the UK? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is China a gravity-defying case in your opinion? No. Again, this is uh, as I just said before. China, the Chinese population, and the Chinese government. Are the ones that must decide how to rule China, and of course, in accordance with international law and and international systems and and rules and regulations of the United Nations and and respect for other countries and so on. But China has the 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 right and the role and responsibility to rule China, and it is not up to the West to tell China what they should or shouldn't do or what is democracy or what is not not democracy. But it's up to China themselves. This is my personal opinion. It's up to China, of course, to figure that out. And and I think that、uh, if you look at things like trust in government, then I think China has a higher the Chinese population has a higher trust in government than many Western countries have. So you you tell me which one is the better one? You, the, the, you can't judge it like that. Simon, recently the Chinese government has issued and introduced、uh, a series of new policies aimed at improving the country's foreign business environment or doing business in China environment.、Uh, as a seasoned entrepreneur in China,、uh, you know someone who has lived in China for 31 years, what is your perspective on these new measures, and what would be your proposal in perfecting、uh, and improving some of these measures going forward? Yeah. So first of all, I'm I, again, as I said before, I'm very happy, and I think that comes for many other、uh, foreign entrepreneurs in China. We're very happy that foreign investments and opening up further in China and、uh, the support and the, and the protection of private enterprises is a big part of the government's new plans. In terms of what can be done better, then of course there's a lot of issues in the implementation of these. Uh, the big direction. So, how do you support specifically IP? Let's say IP rights. How do you protect IP rights better? How do you make sure that the counterfeits are actually taken care of? How do you support the local government in a in a province in Zhejiang or Guangdong or wherever? You know, there. How how is that done and implemented better? That I think there's a lot of work to be done there. A lot of work. Another area,、uh, I would say, is.、Uh, And this is something that also that the, maybe Western media has talked a lot about. This is what they call equal access. So this is about market access in China. And uh, and uh, personally, we don't have any issues with equal access because in our industry, there's nothing. There's no. We're not on any negative list or any any state-owned enterprises that are competing with us or anything like that. But there are some industries where. Uh, where a lot of、uh, of other companies they feel that they don't have the same access to government 
contracts or you know uh, procurement big procurement mm-hmm. volumes and so on and so on so this area i think at least transparency more transparency around that i think is mm-hmm. will be helpful for sure and there's also regulatory things around let's say Denmark is quite big in uh, in pharmaceuticals and bio biopharma and life sciences approval processes and maybe visibility around how to do that faster and better and things like that so there's a lot of areas but this is part of developing the chinese economy mm-hmm. Simon, people have been talking about this Chinese modernization or the Chinese path to modernization. You were not just a witness to it, you actually lived it by living and working in China for the past 31 years. Um, what are your thoughts on this Chinese path to modernization? I think that China has, as we all know, over the last 40 years, developed the economy in an, in an unbelievable way. And it has, uh, it, it's a, maybe never seen in the history of the world that so many people have been lifted out of poverty and and such a big population has be, has become part of a much more modern society i have been part of this myself uh, and i think that that uh, it is um, it is a big importance to the world as such because the chinese economy has delivered a big part of the global growth simon lichtenberg ceo of trayton group thank you so much for coming on the hub on cgtn thank you and come back again Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the, bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is The Hub. With a new state leadership lineup and a cabinet institutional reform plan, all eyes are more than ever on China's two sessions this year. What do we know about some of the major policy changes to be implemented? What will be the significant new trends in China going forward? For more on this, we're joined by Einar Tengen, current affairs commentator and senior fellow at Taihe Institute, and also by Wang Huiyao, director of the Center for China and Globalization. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Let me go to you first, um, President Wang. Um, president Xi is unanimously elected president of China, along with some other appointments of the state council, the legislative, as well as judiciary branches. What do you make of China's new leadership lineup? Well, I think this is very significant. Uh, so that gives continuity, gives uh, stability, and gives uh, also further uh, guidance uh, to the country. The continuity that really gave the country the efficiency, the effectiveness, and also to openly uh, emphasize again the, the open door policy, reform policy. And I think this is really set a good tune, uh, a good uh, rally. Uh, matching order for the next five years for the whole country and to work with the world, you know, all together. Continuity and stability. Einer, what do you think the new Chinese leadership lineup will mean for China and for the rest of the world? Well, clearly, uh, Xi Jinping has uh, a group that he's worked with before. This is going to be his team. uh, And uh, we're expecting him to, uh, as they say, winners want the ball. And he certainly wants to take, uh, you know, uh, China in the direction that has been going. He's been preparing. Right, what you see here is uh, a, a complete team. They're going forward. If you're looking at this in management te- uh, management terms, if this is a corporation, he has the people he wants there, and we're expecting uh, great things. Very interesting perspective, uh, President Wang. As this is the first gathering since the 20th National Congress, one of the first major gatherings, I should say. Uh, which legislations and proposals during this year's MPC and CPPCC have caught your eyes and your attention, uh, and what's their likely impact on the Chinese society? And there's a lot of uh, discussion going on. Private sectors are 
uh, our own people, you know, we should really support them wholeheartedly. We should, you know, solve the problem they have. And also we should give them a platform to let them demonstrate their great capacities. And also this emphasis of, a, of a, you know, private uh, enterprise, uh, I think it's a great stimulus for the economy that after, you know, being uh, hit so hard for the last three years of the COVID, and I think this is really uh, that where we need it now, the, you know, to reinvigorate, to re, uh, you know, uh, stimulate the uh, the private sector's uh, competence and uh, uh, you know also all the uh, working spirit. Um, uh, let's talk about the Chinese economy and economic target around five percent uh, for 2023. We know that last year it was uh, a, a miss uh, due to COVID and other factors. Uh, what do you think of this year's GDP growth target of China that is around 5%? And what are the likely drivers to boost the Chinese economy going forward? Well, I think that uh, actually, the uh, I think it's quite conservative, 5%. For example, uh, you remember that uh, in 2020, when we hit so hard by COVID, China posted only positive, but it's only one point some percent. But next year, 2021, China got 8%, you know, seven, eight times higher than the previous year. So. 2022 was a year really depressed by this COVID, and we had a 3%. But we can at least double that uh, in 2023, uh, even probably higher, you know, uh, 7 or 6.5, 7%, because the optimism comes from now the, the, the January, uh, February, the, uh, you know, purchasing uh, index uh, of Taijing, I mean, has greatly gone up significantly. But also, uh, you know, we see the, uh, you know, last year we had a record number of uh, trade as well. And, and also now we have all the, uh, you know, tourism coming back and, you know, flights increase, uh, visa relax. So, so all those things and, uh, you know, plus the consumption, which is the government is really stimulating and also depressed the spending for the last three years going to be unleashed again this, this year. So I'm quite optimistic that this is going to be really the target to be reached. Einar, do, do you share that optimism? Uh, how do you see China's GDP target of 5% uh, becoming a reality? Well, I think there are three things to consider. First off, Xi Jinping was sending a very strong message that he has a balanced societal plan, uh, that he's not going to just say, oh, you know, let's let's uh, try to juice the economic numbers to make things look nice. Second, he's given his team uh, room to overperform. And uh, very important, a uh, new team. They want to make uh, strike the right, right chord. So next year at this time, we'll be looking at their performance. And I think uh, I would agree with Henry that they will overperform in terms of bringing in better numbers. And the last part is, you know, the last thing the world needs right now is inflation. If uh, he had announced that he was looking for 6%, you would have seen commodity markets just explode. Uh, this is the exact opposite of what you need. And, and it shows a tremendous amount of restraint on his side uh, to make sure that it's not only good for China, but also good for the rest of the world. Uh, Einer, in this year's uh, government institutional reform uh, and overhaul of government ministries, uh, which one or which ones would you consider as uh, the more significant? Well, I think all three are significant. And the, the way uh, I look at them is uh, China sees government uh, and the needs of its people as dynamic. You know, that's a real contrast to what you see happening in the U.S. with the Fed insisting that a 2% inflation uh, is worth killing the economy over. Uh, China takes a much more flexible, pragmatic approach. Uh, they have goals and they make sure that the mechanisms that they have to deal with those goals are in place. So you see them moving into data, into uh, finance, 
and also into technology, uh, all areas where there are significant headwinds. Obviously, finance is an internal one. Uh, data is uh, both internal and external. And then, uh, you know, obviously, uh, trade and technology is something that is uh, very contentious at this point. So China is doing what is necessary uh, to deliver what um, they promised. Um, this is what the work plan is. Uh, it is a blueprint for what's going to happen uh, over the next uh, five years and over this next year. Uh, there's going to start fleshing out the details as this new team gets in. And uh, as I said, uh, let's let's see see what they are able to do, especially given very difficult times. Yeah, you know, one thing that really struck me was the emphasis, or shall I say re-emphasis, on technology, on basic research, on science. Uh, for example, one of the highlights uh, of this round of institutional reform would be the shake-up of the Ministry of Science and Technology. And Henry, what do you make of their overhaul of the Chinese Ministry of Science and Technology, and how do you think that will uh, translate, translate into uh, policies that will enhance China's uh, science and scientific research capabilities? I think this is very important. I mean, uh, science and technology are really the trend of the future and also uh, the most uh, competitive uh, area that uh, China could add on because uh, China is already the largest manufacturing country in the world. Uh, China is really from made in China to, to uh, created in China, innovate in China. And that's need a lot of policy coordination, a lot of uh, you know, government uh, uh, intervention, and of course also uh, stimulation as well. And, and also, uh, given that China already have uh, you know three thousand universities, you know has many enterprises, and uh, and also uh, there is a provincial municipality competition, hundreds of industry parks, science and technology parks, industrial parks. There's a, there's a variety of things, and also China has to really uh, emphasize, prioritize. There's a clean technology. You know, China is leading in the in the solar, you know, in the in, a, in wind and and the clean vehicle technology. So, so I think there's a, a government should put more priorities to those more beneficial uh, to the to the people's lives, to really to the development of, of the of the country. And then the science technology is also the great productivity. We are getting to the age of AI, robotics. So we're getting into uh, chat PT, uh, GPT and all those areas. Yeah. I mean, government has to respond to that. The regulator has to come up. And uh, so I think you know this stream uh, strengthening of the. Uh, Ministry of Science and Technology is very important. And also they have to do more international cooperation. You know, science and technology has to be international cooperated. We have actually people from Ministry of Science and Technology visit us today. We actually, uh, you know, there's more international needs to be uh, stressed. Uh, you know, uh, world uh, scientific research programs, you know, science foundations and the scientific and technology exchanges, all those good features for benefit of mankind. You know, Einer, Beijing has been talking about the fact that it wants to be a uh, innovation hub. It wants to. It wants made in China to be transformed into dreamed up in China, uh, but still, ChatGPT is still created by the United States. Uh, what do you think are some of the main sticking points in China regarding uh, technological development and innovation? Well, first off, ChatGPT is not new. Uh, this was something that was conceived, and I was uh, looking at it in terms of Nature magazine and Scientific American 30 years ago. So uh, this has always been conceptually there. Uh, it's been released. Uh, it's a product that still has some flaws. I mean, the problem with uh, this uh, AI is, you know, it still has to be designed. There's still algorithms, and those algorithms have assumptions. And also, as uh, Henry po pointed out, it's based on a large body of information. The question is, 
is that information accurate? And is your algorithm able to differentiate between good and bad information? And we've seen that countless times. All of these chat AIs have failed in terms of being able to differentiate, uh, you know, whether it's a relationship or political um, matters. Uh, they're not able to give consistent answers based on what people would consider a moralistic basis. So China is definitely looking at this. A lot of the models, um, you know, they're they're not mm -hmm. as complex as people think, but it really has to do with you know the speed of uh, you know five G, six G, the uh, ability to gather large amounts of information and then use these algorithms to create things. But it's not magic. Uh, and the question is, how can it be uh, effectively monetized and things like this? So China uh, is not uh, lagging in innovation. Uh, I think that would be wrong. A study commissioned by the U.S. State Department that was done by an Australian uh, study group put uh, China ahead of in 37 out of 44 strategic areas. So this idea that China steals technology and that uh, China is lagging behind and just copying the West is utter nonsense. And that's the study of the United States itself. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we, we see a lot of Chinese innovation uh, going abroad and bringing uh, you know, an affecting change. For example, in Brazil, we have this uh, ultra high voltage uh, uh, transmission system that is bringing uh, electricity from northern Amazon to uh, southern Brazil, where uh, one-tenth of the Brazilian population's electricity usage uh, were uh, dependent upon. There are many examples uh, you know, in that regard around the world. Henry, um, besides a new national data bureau is uh, said to be set up for advancing the development of data-related fundamental institutions and research, what is the significance of that? Well, this is very, very significant. I, I think, you know, we're, we're talking about China was making a lot of the progress. I, I mean, uh, you talk about technology uh, innovation, but China is now the largest patent applicants in the world. Now. <laughs> uh, five is more patent than any other country uh, in the world. That's really something remarkable. So I think we expect uh, the, this 21st, 21st century petroleum of data flow within China, but also probably flow in the world. Uh, that is really beneficial, you know, the, the golden mile of 21st century. It's high time now China set up this data uh, administration uh, department so that it can have a proper strategy, how to harness the, the, the benefit of data, how can we make this uh, uh, portfolio in the 21st century portfolio uh, that really the largest rich mine uh, that can, we can really harness that, produce that, and let them circulate and let that benefit the world. So I think this is really great. And also China is considering joint CPTPP. And data flow is one of the big concern there. So I think by strengthening this department, so we can have a better policy coordination, better you know, uh, discussion, and better uh, interaction with the, with the relevant department. So I think this is really a great move and a great uh, achievement of these two sections. China is really pitched a lot of importance to this uh, you know, data uh, importance and data flow and data management. Einer and Harry, thank you so much for being part of this discussion and uh, sharing your thoughts on these issues. Thank you. Thank you. And that will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues. Bye and take care.